Welcome to the official podcast of the Sydney Cricket Ground. Each episode, we will be bringing to you interviews from sports teams, players, live events, plus reliving some of the ground's most historic moments. Subscribe now to make sure you don't miss an episode and let us know who you want to hear from next. Well, we've arrived, the SCG podcast, and what a way to start. Angus Crichton, my friend, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, great to have you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's start. Let's start from the very beginning. The SCG. Here we are. We're from our vantage point. We're looking out on this mighty ground. What has it been like yeah. to have this as your home deck? Yeah, mate, unreal. I think um, what a place. I, f- I feel lucky to be able to come in um, a place like this and, and play, play my footy this year. And I think even just going and looking in the sheds and seeing quotes by Bradman and seeing the kind of people that have been in, in these, I guess, this prestigious ground before us and for us to call it our home for 2019 was um, something that opened my eyes and loved it every every second of it. Particularly for someone like you, you, you like taking things in and, and history, uh, you, you're very aware of history. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think... Um, yeah, like I was saying, not just rugby league, but all sports. I think it, this ground holds a lot of history. And, um, yeah, this ground's been very good for me. O- obviously, you were around when I launched my charity a um, couple of months ago and did it here at the SCG. So, yeah, mate, very grateful to, I guess, have met some some pretty cool people and to be writing a bit of my own history um, in this ground. Well, let's let's talk about the First People Project because it was a, it was a beautiful night. We were here at twilight and... Uh, and a, initiative very very dear to your heart it must be great to actually see it come to life and that night it was on all the big screens it was on all the hoardings yeah this, mate this, yeah this, this passion of yours. yeah massive for me i think obviously it's something that is very dear to me and had been in the works for i guess over two years um i've been planning on trying to create an, initi- an, an initiative where i can help young indigenous kids and i guess educate people all around the world of our indigenous culture and um yeah i've, I've, I've have obviously worked with some some pretty important people and have had a lot of help to be able to bring it into fruition but um, to be able to bring it to life and launch it at the SCG was um, magical and, and a night that I'll never forget. Well tell us more about it for those let's say that people listening watching uh, uninitiated in this how did you first start getting involved in this space? Yeah so I, it sort of naturally happened for me um, I was a young kid, went away to boarding school when I was 12. I grew up in a small country town called Young, uh, five hours out of Sydney, and um, I lived 40 k's out of town there. So I, I guess I was um, quite bush. Dad's a farmer. Um, Mum was a school teacher growing up and um, found myself in the big city at a boarding school in Scots. Um, my old man went there and his dad went to Scots as well, so it was sort of a family tradition to once you hit year seven, you leave the farm and you go and move out of home and, and come to the big city and go to school to get a good education, um, which I'm very grateful it happened for me because it opened a lot of doors for myself. And one of those being um, I would have been around 16 years old when I met these two young Indigenous men um, from right up the top of Australia in a place called Gapawiak up in northeast Arm- Arnhem Land. Um, I'd never met Indigenous Australians from the top end. I'd never seen boys like this before. And, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I saw that they were struggling because there was just so many... I, I figured this this out later on, but I just saw that they were lost, I think. Um, they're absolute fish out of water, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, mate, so English is their third language. Um, there's 
I, I don't know how many different indigenous tongues there are up there, but so their language is called Jambara Pingu, and I, I I listen to their language, and I'm I'm it sounds like something from another country. And anyway, when I saw them talking, I saw them be, like I guess just being, and I saw how lost they were. Um, I was comfortable by that time in school. I was 16 or, or 17 or whatever, and I, I, I was comfortable in the city. And I, I just thought um, it was the least I could do to sort of help them out, to, to teach them about um, how to live in the city and even simple things about washing their clothes, showering, brushing their teeth, um, how to present yourself, how, how to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think um, through looking after those boys through school, it wasn't until... Um, I'd finished school, I moved out, and obviously their family was still up in Arnhem Land. Um, they'd come and stay with me on weekends and that type of thing. Um, and I essentially was their family in Sydney, and it wasn't until the eldest one, Delwyn, had finished school that he invited me to come um, back to Gapwiak and, and see where he was from and meet his family and, and show me his side of life. And it wasn't until I had caught that plane to Darwin and caught the tiny charter over to Lake Avella Airport where I, I got out on the red dirt and I had my eyes open to this... Um, completely different type of Australia, this side of Australia I'd never seen before. And then I think through that, I, I learned a lot about their culture. I learned a lot about their Indigenous history and, and the way that they live, the way that they act, the way that they treat their people, and, and it was beautiful. Um, and I think coming back from that trip, I, I, I guess I'd grown as a person. It sort of changed me as a man. And then it was the year after where I thought, I, I want to. People should know about this. You know, all Australians should know about this. All Australians should feel some ownership, like I feel towards this. Um, and that was sort of how we how we ended up here today. Exactly. Well, how did they end up at Scotts? How? To tell us a little bit about that. How did those guys end up there? What, what so, so they so they were two of the first sort of indigenous um, kids from remote communities to come to Scotts. Um, Scotts has a really good indigenous program, which helps give kids opportunities and obviously those guys um they they're they're great young um kids who i think they can see a future um and i think to to bring kids into the city they've got to be promising young kids to be able to leave their community and come and live in the city and put themselves out in a limb um so they find good kids that can do that and then they give them an opportunity like leon and delwyn did and i think um, yeah, it's pretty cool that Scots can do that because mm. it, they're not doing it for any other reason but to try and give these kids an opportunity and then give kids like myself um, an opportunity to open your, your mind and broaden your horizons. And, um, yeah, I think that that's what happened here. Yeah, brilliant. Ed, could you see a bit of synergy uh, with yourself? Because, as you say, it was a family tradition to head off as a, an early teenager. Um, tradition's great, but it can be challenging, it can be confronting. What was it like as a boy when you hit town um yeah being 40k out of young and yeah massive i think like i used to catch a school bus an hour each way um into to primary school and then going from doing that to living on the school was obviously daunting but i think um yeah my old man was always really supportive of do whatever you want to do um he knew i always wanted to play footy and i think when he so when he finished school he was always i think felt pressure to come back onto the land um, whether that be from himself or from his family or just from history. And he, ever since I can remember, as young as I was, he always said, um, chase your dreams, do whatever you want, do what makes you happy. And 
um, don't ever feel any pressure from me. So, uh, yeah, I can always thank my dad for, for being like that. You know, for he's me. a great character, Charlie, yeah. too. I've only met him the one yeah. night, but uh, he was fantastic to have a quick chat with. But did, were you, did you feel all that homesickness, that, that strange feeling of being um, a fish out of water yourself? Um, a little bit at the start, but not really. I think as a kid, I was always sort of on the go and always, um, I, I, I don't know, I've always sort of wanted to have brothers. So living in a boarding house, I had. 40, 40 brothers around me and we just used to run amok so I was always on the go and I guess I was too busy to get homesick um, I love my sport uh, not as much as my schooling not, my schooling not so much but um, yeah obviously in, in Sydney um, there was a lot of opportunities on my fingertips and um, I guess I'd been primed by my parents how lucky I was to be able to go away to school so I think I was so busy I didn't get didn't get too too homesick. Yeah, that's fantastic that you, that you can grow from day mm. one. The uh, the first people project. What what um what do you want to achieve out of out of this initiative? As I said, it was a, a remarkable night here. Like so much history in sport here, mm. and here we were with with Australia's greatest history. Mm. Yeah. So f- the first people project. There's two sort of parts to the charity. The first part is educating people, mm. um, and we want to do that through mainstream media and through making short films on different communities and different cultures just to, I guess, shed some light on our um, First Nation people and our history that we have in Australia because, like I was saying, for me, um, I got my eyes open to just a tiny part of it and it is beautiful and it is Australian and I think that that's something that every Australian should be able to feel connection and should be able to feel drawn to and I think that if we can create all Australians to feel connection and and drawn into our Indigenous history, then our Indigenous Australians will feel more connected to our non-Indigenous Australians. And I think that that's how, as a country, we'll, we'll move forward. And then the second part is looking after young kids and giving them support when they finish school. So kids like Leon and Del and the two that I sort of looked after is being that support network for them um, to help them achieve what they want to achieve when they finish school. Um, let that be if they want to go to uni they want to go to TAFE to do a trade if they just want to go and get a job helping them get their resume together helping giving them that side-by-side support um, to achieve what they want to do because you, you don't notice but these kids once they leave their communities and come into I guess western civilization, their parents a lot of the time the 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 furthest they've left their communities will be Darwin or, or be a major city around their community so when these kids come to Sydney their parents sort of say, yeah, you guys are more educated than us now here, you guys go off and, and do your own thing and that, that's great till they finish school but then they sort of need that support to be able to fill out forms, to be able to get chased up on, like you know yourself having kids I mm. think um, young kids need support and they need a network and they need people to be helping push them in the direction that they want to go so that they can achieve what they want to achieve. Oh, and the numbers are scandalous. When you look at medical um, statistics, when you look at all those statistics, those markers in our society and where the Indigenous markers are, like, um, you know, health, uh, longevity, Mm. uh, it goes on and on Mm. and on. Mm. So uh, from a community perspective, from a country's perspective, Mm. um, these kinds of things are going to help. Yeah, and I think, like I said on, on the night, um, here a couple of months ago that I think before Western people came in here and I guess changed the way that Australia was run and changed the way that history has went and that's something we can't change but before then Indigenous people were sustainable, they were living healthy lives and I think that we came in here and changed all that, changed that dynamic and there's nothing that we can do about changing that now but I think we need to work together to fix it again. I think that the only way that we're going to be able to I guess, fix what's gone on in the past is to move forward side by side um, to really make a difference there. 
All right, a change of pace. This is the SCG podcast. First one, Angus Crichton's talking to us. Let's get into the sport uh, yep. because Scots College, Rugby Union, Rugby Union, Rugby Union, how yep. did that Rugby League thing happen? Or was it was it a throwback to the early days in the country? Tell me about it. Yeah, mate. Um, I, I, I always played Rugby Union growing up, played for the Young Yabbies um, through and through. My old man was the coach. The young Yabbies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the Young Yabbies were the Union and the Young Cherry Pickers were the League. Um, often I get confused. They they try and say I play for the cherry pickers, but I don't think I've ever worn one of their jerseys before. So everyone wants to claim yeah. the success. <laughs> we'll clear that up. Um, but yeah, so always played union, and then went away to boarding school. Mm. Um, I actually played league for young public school, just like socially and whatnot. Play, um, made a couple of those Riverina teams and came away to competitions, and we used to get smoked by all the city teams. But um, that was all part of it. And then came down to Sydney, um, played union down here for Scots, and there was actually. When I was in year seven, one of the day boys' parents um, signed me up to play a season down at Bondi United. Um, so I actually played a season of league when I was 12 years old, uh, which now makes me a local Roosters junior. So um, I'm, I played down there when I was 12 and then just played union all the way through until I got to 17. And I actually had an injury in my neck. I had a bit of nerve damage and I sat out the whole rugby union season. Where were you? Were you number eight? Were you yeah, I was number eight then. Okay. I actually heard it playing in the state champs for New South Wales. Mm. Um, got nerve damage in my neck and then missed the whole school season. And then it was at the end of that season when the league pre-season started. And I actually knew a guy, Tane Milne, when he was at the Roosters because he played for Newington um, and got one of the recruitment managers' emails um, from the Roosters and, and put together a little hearts video of my 16 year old self and emailed it off to Peter O'Sullivan and just asked if I could um, come and do some pre-season training with the Roosters to get my fitness up and to get, uh, there was always a chat that if you played a bit of league you'd be a better defender so I was always sort of keen to dabble with that and I guess try my hand there and ended up um, coming back to me and saying yeah sure come and be a part of our summer squad so we trained three times a week and did the pre-season and then played round one round two and round three and then it came back to union time for me so I had to leave um, that SG ball team which had the likes of Joey Manu, Latrell Mitchell, Connor Watson, um, Pawasa Farmacilli, Pauline Mavroski Um, so there was a heap of good players in that team they ended up going on to to win the SG ball comp and I went back to rugby union. Because you're back in year twelve, yeah, Scots, yeah, and 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 so there you you've had your little taste of the Roosters, Bondi United, but you ended up at South, yeah, the arch enemy. I know they I know. hate each other. I know, I know. I remember actually, um, yeah. So when I finished school, I was I was pretty set on obviously wanting to play professional sport. Mm. Um, I went and had a meeting with the Waratahs, um, and they were just sort of keen for me to be in their twenties program and train a couple of times a week, and um, they they're sort of idea was that I wasn't ready to play first grade football yet which is fair enough I was only a young kid um, but then and then I spoke to the Roosters and they wanted me, me to be a part of their under 20s program as well and then I spoke to um, Michael Maguire at the Rabbitohs and, and he said he wanted me to start training full time with the first grade squad um, at, the, at the age of 18 it was a pretty easy decision for me I think um, if you can toss up the likes of running around a couple of times a week with a few other 18-year-olds to going into a full-time system and training with the likes of Sam Burgess, Greg Inglis, John Sutton. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was a really easy decision for me. They just won the comp and um, so I went over to South for, I was there for four years, I think. Uh, made some great friends and some great memories there and um, can't thank them enough for giving me, I guess, the start to my rugby league journey because without them I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now and then it wasn't until 
um, at the start of last year when I made my decision to come over to the Roosters and yeah, this year has been one of the best years of my life for sure. Yeah, and and you won the premiership, which is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Um, what what about what about the finger? What happened? Yeah. The, the, the fingers as a like people go, did he really cut his finger off? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, mate. There was a lot of I guess injuries at the start of my career. Um, ever since I was my first season season in under twenties with the Rabbitohs in twenty fifteen, I remember I think it was my third game or something. I had to I was putting a local anaesthetic in my finger to try and play, and that was just me as a as a young kid trying to push through it and. I guess, one, was it the one problem finger? Yeah, yeah. yeah so the, this one problem finger, uh, one finger, it's been the only problem there and it sort of led to other injuries because I couldn't play so I was doing fitness, doing a lot more running and then my hips broke down. I had a groin reconstruction um, in 2016 and then it got to, um, I kept trying to fix my finger and what actually happened was I ruptured the tendon which is these little stringy things that go to the tips of your finger which help you be able to open and close your hand. Mm. Um, I ruptured that and then I kept playing with it when it was ruptured um, and then by the time we got surgery and went to repair it, all the cartilage had died in the joint, so it was just bone rubbing on bone. And then I saw the surgeon again, and he said, um, this was years ago, and he said, you can either cut it off or you can fuse it. And I thought, yeah, well, if obviously I don't want to cut it off straight away. I'm, I was 19 years old or whatever, and I said, all right, let's try and fuse it. So they put some wires in to try mm. and hold the finger, um, pretty much essentially cut the knuckle out and just make it one bone from the end here to the tip. Mm. And so I tried to do that just so I could hang on to my finger. Um, and then that fusion broke. So they said, all right, let's try some screws, put screws in it. Wow. And then that, that broke again and I tried screws again. And had, I think I tried to refuse it five times. And then it got to end of 2017, start of 2018 where... So it's amazing. I'll let you get back to this, but it's amazing how Chinese whispers go. It looked like the, the, yeah. the folklore story yeah. that you just decided in the dressing room one day know, and someone actually came along with a wheelchair. Yeah, and I know. You've heard that story. I know, I know. So, not this full yeah. story, the people, true story. People come to me being crying, you crazy bastard, just cutting <laughs> your finger off. I'm like, mate, I tried to fix it for, for three or four years and it just wasn't, it just wasn't fixing. So it got to the point where I'd broken it again and it was the seventh surgery in four years. Mm. Um, I was 21 years old. I had to make the call to cut my finger off. And um, obviously it was a tough one to, to swallow. And obviously looking down and not seeing my finger for the first time was pretty daunting. But I think, um, yeah, mate, you can't, you can't, if you, if you don't laugh at it, you'll cry about it. So You've grown to live with it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You and, have to, I think. And, and by the end, you really had no option, did yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. It was either keep trying and, and keep trying to fix it when it wasn't going to get fixed or give up footy or cut your finger off. So mm. for me, at the end of the day, um, as a young kid who, who loves his footy, and um, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make... I've, I think I made the right decision and yeah. I'll do it all again. Has it all been good since? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. Perfect. Yeah. Except I can't pick up coins or Smarties or <laughs> M&Ms or whatever, but... No, no dramas. Yeah, keep you away from the chocolates. The uh, but uh, but playing footy has. Did you have to adapt anything like with yeah, the catching passing? Yeah, well, I think um, obviously the grip strength in my left hand's obviously gone down now. I can't hold the footy as well as I used to be able to in my left hand. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like anything, mate. If you if something happens, you just deal with it and you yep. adapt to it and overcome. And um, yeah, it's pretty simple. How did you end up back at the enemy? So you've got you sort of crossing boundary lines. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a tough one for me. I think. That um, that was a really challenging period of my life um, at the end of 2017 and the start of 2018. In that little break, um, I came to the decision over over a long period of time that I wanted to come back to the Roosters. To obviously, um, I see myself here for a long time, and mm. I see myself finishing my career here, and I see myself playing my best footy here in these colours. And 
for me to come to that decision wasn't an easy one because I did love South. I love the players, the coaches, um, everyone there. I love the the fans and the culture and the history behind the club. Um, but it just got to the to the point for me where I could see myself playing the best footy, um, where I could, where I thought the best coaches would be to make me the best player I can be, and and obviously where I can be successful and I guess have a good time because when you're winning, you're having a good time and. Um, and for me, after I guess a lot of hours of tossing and turning in bed, it came to the decision that um, I, I could see myself doing that at the Roosters. And um, I think I've definitely made the right call because it feels like home for me now. And obviously, I'm signed here for another two years, and I and I plan on trying to play my best footy over that over that time and, and being here for a long time. When did you first arrive? When did you remember? Um, so I actually signed the deal to come here, and it publicly came out at the end of 2017, before the 2018 season kicked off. So I think that it came up publicly that I was leaving. And you had the 2018 at South. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd already signed for 2018 at South. Um, so I, uh, the way it works in, in rugby league contracts is you can start talking to other teams and you can sign a new deal once you have 12 months left in your contract, then mm. you're free to talk. And so it got to that period where I was free to talk. And obviously I had a chat to South, I had a chat to the Roosters and had a chat to a few other clubs. Um, and they offered me a contract before the season started. Um, and I think that was when I'm, I, I had to make a decision for myself whether I wanted to, well, yeah, pretty much what I wanted to do with my future. And I think that I, I, obviously it was a, a, a lot of thinking involved there, but mm. I made the decision that I think that Roosters is the best place for me to be. And then um, I still had that year left in my contract at South that I wanted to honour. Um, so that was obviously a tough period because that came out publicly and then I got my finger cut off and I was sitting at home, I had no finger and I was getting all these people telling me how much of a... I won't say it on, on camera, oh, but... but, <laughs> well, you can, but, you, but you can say it in the sense of people get vicious, don't yeah. they? Pe- people yeah. who, who love football teams honestly lose perspective. Yeah. I've seen it before. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, I, 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 but to be honest, I... I think that that's also part of what makes the game so great is that passion. That whole tribalism. Yeah, that passion from fans and that, I guess... Um, it doesn't make it any easier when you're no. recovering and yeah. you're young. Yeah. You yeah. know, like uh, you're, yeah. you're a mature guy, you, yeah. you've grown up before your time, but even still when you're copying it left, right and yeah. centre, people don't know your circumstances. Yeah, for sure. But I think obviously through tough times you mm. grow. Yep. Um, and I think going through that little period definitely made me um, understand what who I want to be, what kind of person and player I want to be and... Um, gave me a bit of perspective and might have made me a bit more mature. I'm not sure. I love all those lines. Tough times never last, but tough people do. Yeah, Robert Schiller. Yeah, and, you yeah. know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. They're all they're all true as well. Yeah. What 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 about um, what about when you first played against South? You, 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 I suppose you're ready yeah. for a bit of the verbal. Yeah, obviously I, I was expecting it. Um, yeah, that was a that was a pretty crazy, I guess, atmosphere to be at round one. South versus Roosters, my first game in the Roosters' colours and. Yeah, I remember every time my face would get up on the screen, everyone would be booing me. But um, yeah, like we were saying, it's it's part of what makes the rivalry so great. And I think um, yeah, as good as South were for my career, and how thankful I am for helping start me off in my career. I think um, right now I'm where exactly where I want to be. And obviously, it was a tough, I guess, couple of months or years or whatever to to get myself here but now I think um, I'm settled in I'm feeling good and I think the best years are ahead of me here at the Roosters for yeah, sure yeah and you, you, you're confident in the decision that you made and it must have helped a bit having Luke Keary here uh, who, who'd been through it yeah yeah I think it was obviously a bit different with his with his move over here but um, he gave me a lot of confidence in 
when I was considering coming to the Roosters and, and leaving South because he, he was he was a, a massive advocate for how great Trent Robinson and the coaching mm. staff were and the culture that the Roosters have. I think it's what a lot of people don't realise about the Roosters is a, a lot of people will say that they buy their players from wherever and there's no culture, there's no um, drive or no hard work. It's just all sort of... They, they view the Roosters as that, as that sort of silver spoon club, but behind closed doors um, I haven't seen a club like the Roosters and I haven't seen people work as hard as the people work at the Roosters everyone from the playing squad to the guy that carries our gear out the water boys to the people that work behind the desks upstairs um, the ladies behind the desks like Kath King um, uh, not many people outside of the Roosters will know these people but um, the work that they put in the coaching staff is tremendous and I, I just don't think there, that there is that anywhere else and I think the fact that a lot of people don't see that makes the Roosters tie together even harder um, because we all know how much work goes into it to bring success yeah you must, you must have thought you you're a grand final like you're going to miss grand finals going forward in your career in a little way because 2014 they won South you get there in 2015 Roosters win in 2018 you get there in 2019 yeah uh, it must have been no, relief's not the word but there must have been a whole ball of emotion when you won this grand final yeah. this year yeah well obviously I think coming over was a massive um, was a, I guess a massive emotional time for me and I, the emotions that I've experienced this year have been like no other I think obviously um, to be standing up there at the end of the year premiers and around some complete icons of the game guys like Boyd Corden and guys like Cooper Cronk finishing his career and to be a part of that mate you got you got to pinch yourself a bit I think um, we we're just talking about me coming from the bush and um, using, used to catch the bus an hour each way from home and as a kid I always wanted to be a footy player um, I didn't know the difference between league and union but I used to have a war- uh, a big Wallabies poster hanging on my wall and I had a, a Roosters jersey hanging on the other one and as a kid I always um, would look at that and just think that that was what I was going to do when I grew up um, my old man the whole time he, he said do whatever you want to do do whatever's going to make you happy because I think he used to want to play footy when he finished school and had to go back to the farm and I think just having that belief from my family my mum my and my dad really taught me to believe in myself when I think that potentially had no right to um, and I guess them instilling that in me and um, to then be standing on the stage with Cooper Cronk both having rings on for his last ever game um, is something that mate, I'll, I'll be able to tell my grandkids about that I think so pretty special. A lot of people say in those moments you almost get a bit of a slideshow uh, moment like in that and you look yeah. back to the bus you look back to yeah. the farm you look back yeah. to the words from your dad and it all flashes to you uh, yeah. because uh, you're still very much at the start of your journey, but it's, it's going to be one of those pivotal marks that you uh, stand out for you until the day you leave this mortal coil. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think looking back at that now, um, knowing that I can, I guess, get through that period to climb that mountain and, and get to um, obviously the goal and the peak to where we wanted to get to at the end of 2019 to experience all that emotion and to finally reach that end goal and I guess feel that just pure happiness and and I guess appreciate the struggle to get to where to where that final destination is I think that's the kind of thing that keeps you driving and in sport you want to keep chasing that and just keep doing that and I think um, for me personally knowing that I can get through what I got through um, 
I, I think I can achieve whatever I want. Absolutely. Look, I'm significantly older than you, but I often reflect on how lucky I've been with my family. You know, like any success or, uh, you know, viewed success, I think it's come because they gave me such a solid base. Yeah. I knew that I was loved. And, yeah. and I think I can see that in you, uh, that, you know, you must feel very fortunate, particularly now as you get older mm. and you can see the sacrifices, you can see the, mm. what they gave you mm. and what they're giving you. Yeah, um, for sure. I think not everyone has that. Um, solid family base and it's something that has been such a I guess it's been at the forefront of my life for so long and something that it's not until you finish the season and you look back and you just see how much your family love you and how much your family support you like I just drove down and saw my grandma and my auntie in Orange and then went and I did another little road trip from Orange to Young and went and caught up with, with my dad's mum and dad um, just last night and yeah, just to see them and to see how much happiness it brings them and joy it brings them. And, um, yeah, I, I just feel really really lucky and really blessed. Good on you, mate. You're, you're making them all very, very <laughs> proud. Congratulations on what you've achieved so far. All the very best with the First People Project and hopefully we'll come back to yeah, the podcast beautiful. mid-year and, and have another chinwag about that and the roosters. But it is time for holidays. You're on holidays. So <laughs> yeah, mate, we'll I'm let on you holidays catch a plane. No, appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers, Angus.